0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hucker. If this is your first time tuning into the pod, then we hope you enjoy today's episode. But what is this podcast all about? Well, we tell the stories of doers, thinkers and creatives on the surf coast in Australia. Why do we do it? Well, we think the coast is a melting pot of creative minds from the city, the country and the coast, and we wanted to get their stories out there. Each episode is packed full of insight and a good dose of practical hints and tips from our guests, a guest for this episode of the podcast. Well, we've actually got two guests. Two acclaimed artists called Geoffrey Curran and Rowena Martinich. Rowena and Geoffrey split their time between their flat in East Melbourne and their home in the bush in Janjak. They work on solo projects and collabs to create giant public murals and collectible artworks as well. They are booked out 12 months in advance. If you've ever dreamt of working full-time as an artist, then this is the episode for you. Well, better yet, even if you dreamt of working full-time as a creative, there's so many gold nuggets in this episode, it's an absolute cracker. But it all sounds like an idyllic life, doesn't it? You know, making paintings and uh, getting commissions and doing public murals and all the rest. But find out the sacrifice that it's taken for Geoffrey and Ruina to be where they are today. It didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. So tune in to hear the rest of their story. Leave us a rating on iTunes after the show. Better yet, share the episode with one friend. That would really help us out. Once again, I'm your host, Ben Hucker. Co-hosting today's episode is Jess Mellington. This is episode 42 of the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. Enjoy. Well, that's a big welcome to our guests for today. Been a lot of back and forth on email and the rest to, to get these guys on the podcast today. So it's so good to finally sit down and chat with you both. But Jeffrey Karen and Rowena Martinich, welcome to the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. Thank
1: you very much. Yeah, Pleasure to
0: be here. Thanks for having us. Our first segment for today's episode of the podcast is called Breaking the Ice. So just seven questions to get to know you a little bit better. A lot of our guests, I think, will be familiar with both of your profiles, but just for those who've never heard of you, then it's just a good segment to get to know you a little little bit better and for us as well. So question number one, where were you born?
2: I was born in Melbourne, but grew up in country Victoria. So yeah, I've kind of returned to my roots a bit, moving back from Melbourne and um, finding a nice place down the coast.
0: So you didn't actually spend any time in Melbourne growing up?
2: grew up on a sheep property um, on the South Stream border. So, yeah, I moved down to Melbourne as a teenager to boarding school and lived down there for a while and then moved down to Torquay or Janjuck.
0: Yeah, very cool. And for you, Jeffrey,
1: I was born in Invercargill, New Zealand. And for those that don't know, it's right down the very bottom of the South Island of New Zealand. Um, And then we moved up to the North Island where I went to school and lived over there for a long time until I came over on a surf trip too many years to count ago into <laughs> Australia.
0: Actually, yeah. we were talking about where you were born at our previous coffee meet in March, and I remember you saying you were from Invercargill, so that's a deep, deep south. It's the southernmost tip, isn't it, basically?
1: Yeah, pretty much. The only thing between there and Antarctica is Stewart Island, and it's cold most of the time.
0: I imagine it's freezing. <laughs> I grew up in Ballarat, so nothing could be colder than Ballarat. And so too, Jess. But actually, I do remember at the coffee as well, there's a bit of a likeness with Tony Hawk for you, Jeffrey. How often do <laughs> When
1: I was younger, I used to get it quite a bit though.
0: About the Tony. same height, sort of similar build. And you skate yeah. too as well.
1: Cool, lanky guy. I haven't been on skateboard for a few years now. Um, after coming off second best. I think it was the little mini pipe at, at Blunt that used to be there. So you put a stop
0: to that, Rowena. I think Jeffrey very promptly put a stop to it himself. Wise move. Uh, question number no. two, Jess.
3: I'll start with you, Jeffrey. Do, what's your favourite activity to zone out?
1: Oh, it would have to be. Ooh,
0: Don't say I skateboarding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say that's constantly in flux. It was traditionally always surfing. Still is surfing, actually. To zone out, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Although, you know, watching a TV series at the end of the days with Roe is pretty good too now. When Finley's in
0: bed.
1: here, get the fire going and
0: watch a Netflix series or something like that. Well, that's coming yeah, yeah. up in one of our questions, so we'll, we'll stay tight-lipped on that one. And Roe, <laughs> what about you?
2: Well, I reckon over summer it's been going down to Cozy Corner with Finley, actually, yeah. and just watching Relish in... Beach life, um, yeah, it's pretty amusing watching him run in and out of the waves and bobble around with his life jacket on.
3: Yeah, little water baby. Yeah,
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> We're just talking about Finley. So he's your son. How old's Finley? Uh, he's just over two. Just over yep. two. He's your only child. We got other kids. No, he's our only child.
1: Yeah, he's a he's a bit of a handful at the moment, which is fantastic. <laughs> I, love, I love the energy; actually, it's infectious. You know, yeah. his, his, his curiosity and um, yeah, just he just he just runs wide open. Yeah, which is keeps you on your toes. It's good. <laughs> I need to go to the gym.
0: <laughs> actually, Jeffrey, you were saying just before the podcast, we were chatting, and you were saying uh, you had a premiere in Grok of your latest documentary, which is called A Bird's Eye View. And Finley was going nuts. Do you want to tell us what
1: happened? Uh, we we did have the uh, the local premiere up there to show with the locals on the big screen, and we had a, a community gathering at the local town hall. And he had a captive audience, so he was showing off all his dance moves and yoga poses. <laughs> and um,
2: befriending the bar staff.
1: Stole the mic off of me when I was doing my intro. <laughs> yeah, so that was very amusing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good stole iceberg. the mic.
2: Yeah, jumped on the
1: blot screen. Oh, that's right. It was a, an inflatable screen and he thought that was going to be a big jumping castle for him, so half on through.
0: Actually, he, we went to the premiere of the Bird's Eye View at the Bell's Bellsberge Brewery a month ago just after our coffee meet and it was such a good night. So I can imagine there was probably about 100 people that, there that night. How many did you get in Groke?
1: I didn't count, but we filled uh, the town hall.
2: Yeah, I'd say it would be about the same.
1: Yeah, it was about it was actually yeah. pretty close, maybe a few more actually. Um, because we did put on there was a full spread. The local um restaurant put on a meal for everybody, fed the fed everyone there three times over, which is <laughs> great.
2: Yeah, it's quite a big event for a small town, really. Yeah. To have something like that. So
1: And coming out of COVID, it was the first community event that they'd had in well over a year. So everyone was really happy yeah. Yeah, to, to get there and have a big catch-up as well as see the film and celebrate the achievement of pulling together such an, a, a community um, project like that. So,
0: oh, It was such a good documentary in the project itself. In terms of Garouk, like the population of Garouk would probably be about 100 people. So were, were there a few blow-ins or the farmers came in for a night out? It about,
2: it's about
1: 200, isn't it? The 200. <laughs> uh, yeah. On, Including on, farmers. Depends on the day. <laughs> It is a tight, tight-knit tight community, and, and, and there is a lot of farmers, so they are all, all off doing various activities. And it was, uh, I think, it was on a Friday night, so a lot of people at this time of year go off to the local lakes and with their caravan for a weekend of fishing and water skiing before the weather closes in.
0: And just for our listeners, Garok is where exactly? Because prior to seeing your documentary, I didn't even know the place existed.
1: Well, Garroke is a, a funny little place like that. It has all these connections, but Garroke is out near the South Australian border in the western Wimmera. Woomera, um, so halfway up the South Australian border and about as far west as you can go. Um, yeah, so if people are familiar with Horsham, it's about an hour past Horsham.
0: All right. So does that tie back to where you grew up, Rowena, or is it still far away?
2: Yeah, it's about forty minutes from our family property, so oh, cool. we were fortunate enough to be able to stay, um, stay there during the project and have a built-in babysitter in my mum. <laughs> after Finley, so we could both be on site uh, for the silo project.
0: Well, that's it worked out very well. So, yeah. is that how it came about the the project? Because you live close by and you knew about it, and well, but- I
2: guess we got wind of it first. Mum had heard of it through the local radio that they were um, putting out tender. Um, a tender for the project. Um, but I, you know, I, I think Jeffrey was as much in the running as anyone else as far as putting in a submission um, and going through those official processes uh, to get the project.
1: Yes, I had. I had just come off. Um, it was down between me and another crew to do um, eight silos up in Queensland. And um, so I'd gone through the whole process and the tender process and submitting for that. um, And I just found out that the other crew had got that when this one came up. So using that momentum and familiarity, I put in for that. And I was quite surprised to get a phone call like two days before Christmas to say that that I got it. So it was good.
0: Uh, congratulations. We've seen some of the photos on your social feed. It's spectacular. So, And in addition to the documentary, which was put together by Brian Hines and a few other people, I think it was mainly just Brian, but, yeah, it's a fantastic documentary and such a good vibe and feeling at Bells Beach Brewery that night. It was only a month ago that I think that it aired, so still pretty mm. fresh. Has it been? Has it gone viral?
1: Uh, <laughs> I don't keep track of it. Like it hasn't gone viral by any stretch of the imagination, but um, it's doing very well. I think, I don't know, last time I checked it, it was about 1700 views. So
2: I just think it's a nice way to just tell the story about the project because so much happens in the life of creating something like that that you sort of would never imagine when you see the final product. So um, it really sort of gives the backstory of how the town feels about the work and and how that, I guess, functions on a higher level um, for both the the local community as well as being, you know, a catalyst for cultural tourism, um, bringing, like, financial stability to small towns in Victoria.
1: Yeah, and, and it's also... and It's hard to really keep track of things these days because everyone literally... There's so many platforms for things to get shared now. Um, so I, I, I didn't really put it up on... On Facebook, but Instagram had a big uptake. And I have to say, that's probably one of the my most interactive platforms Instagram. But people share through, because now you've got Reels, IGTV, then, then YouTube, and then people have been emailing it. And so it's going all over the place. However, oh, I, I just found out they do want to share it in continental Europe through television. So all right. that'd be great.
0: I was going to say, that would be a good fit sort of parts of Western Europe for, for the Docker, given their love for agriculture and wildlife and all the rest?
1: Oh, it's very similar. I mean and, and they can relate because if they live in a, a you know an agricultural landscape with silos and cropping districts. But the scale over here is just so different and the climate's so different that it's kind of quite exotic for them. So yeah, there, there's a there is a very there's a real interest over in Germany and France for these the silo project. So
0: yeah, I'd imagine. And we interviewed, actually, Jimmy Buscombe from Warnerville just before Christmas, just after Christmas. He was doing one of yep. the projects at Evoca. Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, I think he's just finished up. And, but it, that's, that's fascinating because he's been using um, glow-in-the-dark paint on that one.
0: Has he? Yeah. yeah uh-huh.
1: that's, that's something be different. an
0: absolute showstopper.
1: Yeah, it looks pretty amazing from what I've seen.
0: I'm keen to yeah. come back to the, the backstory on the silo projects, but Oh, the other thing was the, the accommodation in Grook and places around Horsham have just gone through the roof in terms of demand, hasn't it, due to some of these projects?
1: Certainly, Garouk, you could see a real change in um, visitation um, immediately, and um, I, 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 one of the metric units for measuring that was, like, how much diesel is going through the local fuel bowsers yeah
2: Yeah, so it went from like 200 litres a week to about 2,000 just you know local caravan uh, people coming through with their caravans and refuelling
1: and the local apex caravan park went from like just looking like a grass grassy park to having people parked up in there every single day So yeah like little things like that make make these things really successful um, as far as that sort of revitalisation and cultural tourism Um, and because of the uncertainty with traveling and that there's so many more people on the road and they're looking for mm-hmm. a destination so all of a sudden if a group pops up and no one's even heard of it they'll be like oh let's go what's there you know yeah. so yeah
0: oh, it's great to see a bit of life coming into the regional towns especially after 2020 and i know local regional towns they thrive on the footy and netball clubs which were basically non-existent last year so to have a project to bring some of those regional towns to life, would have been such a buzz for, for the local people?
1: We actually, well, during the project, we um, thought we'd have a go at Lawn bowls. So we went down to the local Lawn bowls club one night, say good to everyone, got my ass absolutely whooped. <laughs> by by rowing amongst uh, some of the oldies as well.
0: <laughs> Did they let yeah. you know about it too? they tell you to stick to painting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They don't hold back
0: now. <laughs> I imagine not. There'd be no time for pretense and groak, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, I should have turned up in my white polo shirt, you know.
0: (laughs) Uh, Question number three, guys. This is pretty obvious for anyone that knows you, but not so obvious for for those who don't, but full-time or part-time creatives, or in your case, artists? Full-time. Pretty much
2: full-time, yeah. Yeah. I've had little bits of breaks with Finley coming along, but, yeah, we're otherwise full-time practising yes. professionals yet.
0: And how long have you both been practising full-time as artists?
2: Oh, About 13 years, I guess,
0: for me. Wow.
1: Probably 10 for me. Yeah, it's 10 for me yeah. now, Yeah, this year.
0: So in the world of professional artists, you're basically seasoned veterans.
1: It's hard to imagine that, but it, it, when you stop to actually think about it, yes, yeah, it's been it's been because we're always just constantly focused on what's in front of us, what's what the next pro, what the next project is. Um, before you know it, five years is gone, then six, and then yeah, which has been great because um, the uh, the ball just keeps rolling, and we just mm. we just keep adapting and changing with it. Um, and I think the reason why it's been we've been successful professionally is um, diversity and constantly changing and trying new things, taking risks. And...
0: So, would you say broadly you've both had a pretty consistent style throughout that decade, thirteen years, or have yet, like in terms of diversity? Do you mean what do you mean by that?
1: When, when I say diversity, uh, it's like taking different approaches to. Um, how you present what we do. So um, we used to do design fairs and we, we had a real home, like homewares, prints, accessible, lower priced items, which would um, complement our larger ticket items such as large commission paintings and murals. Um, and then we, we had the public artwork, so doing large-scale public artworks as well as private commissions. Um, yeah.
2: And then exhibitions and having painting stock that we...
1: And an online store. Yeah. Um, so lots of different little revenue streams that keep everything ticking over when maybe one dips, the others make up for it. Yeah. Um, stylistically, though, it is based on the foundation of Rose Abstract Expressionist practice and my um, bird paintings because yeah I it has been I've been painting birds consistently for 10 years now so yep
2: I think the practice always evolves and it, and it morphs and shifts and um, you bring elements into it but fundamentally I've always been an abstract painter and um, and that that takes on shifting forms but it's been
1: consistent. And the other element of um, behind that is that we've been um, this whole time we've been self-managed rather than relying on a gallery or for representation. We, we, we do it all ourselves.
0: All right. You're filling your own exhibitions, getting your own work. There's no agent or any middleman. That's right.
1: I mean, if agents want to come to us, um, they deal, we will take them on as a case by case basis and make an assessment and move forward with that or not. Mm. Um, But, yeah, we Yeah, so,
2: like, we we would have it potentially um, someone might be fitting out a hotel and they might come to us um, to fulfil the art requirements and they might act as an agent for that specific project, but we don't have anyone consistently managing our entire practice.
1: And that way our business model is autonomous and we make all the decisions ourselves.
0: Yeah, it sounds like an idyllic lifestyle. Like the work rolls in. I imagine there's a lot of sacrifice. So we'll come to that a little bit later. But just before we move on to question four, do you remember the job you were doing before you became full time artist? And what was, was it? Digging holes. <laughs> digging <laughs> holes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was a landscaper.
0: All ah, right. Um, landscaper.
1: I've always loved working in the outdoors and working with plants and that Feeds directly into how I got into working, um, doing paintings of Australian birds um, and wildlife. But
2: yeah, I was pretty much the perpetual student. I love being at university. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, so I dragged that out as long as possible, working part time retail jobs um, to keep myself afloat. And when I finished uni, I actually started a gallery space. So I guess I've always worked in the creative field and have worked, you know, with other artists doing exhibitions and events and that sort of thing. But in doing that, I felt like my own practice wasn't getting the time or the love that it needed. So, um, yeah, stepping away from the gallery and just putting my energies into my own work is when things started to happen, I guess, in my
0: career. Do you guys remember consciously thinking, oh, I'd love to be a full-time artist someday or did it kind of just happen? I know, Rowena, you just said that you stepped away and started to focus more and make it more of a full-time occupation and it became a full-time occupation. I think through my 20s I sort of, I
2: didn't really think it was realistic that you could make money and survive as an artist. Like I thought it would be wonderful, but I didn't see how it was possible. And it wasn't until I completed my master's in public art that I could see that there, there were decent budgets for projects out there and that it was feasible. Um, so it was, yeah, after finishing my master's that um, I started to secure proper projects off the back of my research and, yeah, and things started to snowball really.
0: We'll come back to you, Geoffrey, on that one. But I actually, while we're here, do you want to cover it for you, Geoffrey? How did it happen for you, the full-time thing?
1: Well, I was actually doing a stint working at university um, at RMIT, and, which is where I met Roey. We took um, the art. faculty took Rowie on as a mentor for our public art students. That's where we met. And I remember thinking at the time, um, I'd taken this on to get away from landscaping for a bit and work in a creative industry, but I found it more stifling working in the university. Um, I had less time and less emotional and mental space to do my own work in my spare time, mm-hmm. whereas I, I, before that, I could sustain a painting practice in the evening when I wasn't landscaping or I'd landscape for three days out of the week or four days out of the week and paint for three days. Um, and it was after working at university um, and stepping away from that and meeting Ro, um everything sort of coalesced. And I was like, "I've Roe really pushed me to knock part-time work on the head and just focus on my painting." And it was daunting at first, but then I had we had a couple of really successful shows, and um, that gave me enough confidence to move ahead.
2: I think it was when we did. We both did an art fair, and mm. Jeffrey sold out his whole stand of work within a couple of days. So wow. it was apparent that you know
1: was he was on the right
2: track. <laughs> <Yep>.
1: <laughs> and it went from there to have two sellout shows and an exhibition. So it was like three sellout shows. And I was wow. like, okay, now that was like, if I wasn't going to do it, then I probably wasn't going to do it. So. Yeah.
0: And that's, uh, it became a source of revenue income, I imagine. So you sell a ticket, people buy it and then you, your paintings are on display to sell as well.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it feeds directly back in. And then um, when, if you've got opportunities coming up, you just focus on that next project um, and you're like, okay, I've been paid. I I, I I can live off that for a while. And also, um we then started having each other to support one another and that's when things really started ramping up
2: i think also yeah. at that point like we we'd always had ideas of doing things like textiles and 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 branching our practice into other areas mm. that we'd never done sort of one out but i think in having each other to bounce ideas off and like morally support each other um we just took we took the jump and um, were able to like take a bit of a risk with a few things and just see how they went.
1: It was nuts that period. It was such a period of just excited, productive creativity. Um, Rogue curated an exhibition at the NGV um, called Flores, And that was like all about collaboration. And from collaboration, all sorts of other things start forming and, that's where we first started working together too. And mm-hmm. that added another bow to our string, so to speak, um, where all of a sudden both of our practices merged and created a, another offshoot of practice of doing collabs.
2: Yep. And then I guess after that um, doing design fairs and that sort of thing, that's when that sort of coming in. And, and at that stage, like printing on textiles was a new technology and... Um, we could make a cushion and sell it for a hundred and ninety dollars at a design <laughs> fair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is <nuts>. one hundred and ninety <laughs> bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts.
2: And we sold hundreds of them. Like I, uh, I can't quite even fathom that now because <laughs> you could go to Kmart and you'd find a ripoff of it for five bucks. So yeah, uh, like the the design, the creative world has shifted so much since we sort of entered into it.
1: It was a timing thing. We also got picked up by the National Gallery at that point, um, so they took a collection of our a sample of our homewares and put it into their
0: shop as well. Is that the pinnacle for artists, the, the National Gallery in Victoria, NGV?
2: Oh, this was, it wasn't At this point it wasn't an exhibition that was um, like selling design we're, goods in their store.
1: We were part of the gift shop, exit to the gift shop.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we did do a show with NGV, so that I mean that was the precursor to, you know, other things, like like stocking their gift store and that sort of thing. It
1: was very exciting, and you take you you take that excitement and that optimism, and and that really um, gives you momentum to and confidence to carry on with your arts practice. You take those little victories and and. Take what worked from that and then reapply it to the next project. Yeah, so basically
0: building momentum. It sounds like there's a an element of fearlessness as well. Have you still got that level of fearlessness today? Like you just go and do what you feel is is right. Yeah, I think we
2: just just do it. We're not like I don't. I think we're past being frightened.
1: I don't know. Yeah, just jump in. If if an opportunity comes, you, you you jump in and and if it doesn't work, you learn from it and. But-
2: I think we jump in the deep end a bit sometimes like <laughs> take on big projects that we haven't quite thought out how we're going to do and but that's always really been the case like yes and I, I've always been a believer that you don't really get anywhere if you play it too safe so um, I think it's good to go out on a limb
0: that is very mm-hmm. true we've noticed that with the podcast we've we wouldn't have dreamt of having Jeffrey Karen and Rowena Martinich on the podcast even 12 months ago. So to have you guys on the podcast is like a, I think a massive achievement for us. So going oh, out on definitely. a limb works. <laughs> and I guess it goes back to scheduling that coffee meet in March. We weren't going to do it. We thought, I oh, know, no, no one will come. Ended up being a dozen people there, including yourself, Jeffrey, which was great to see. Okay. It and was good.
1: Really here we are doing
0: that. a podcast. So.
1: And,
3: I think as a
2: creative, you always go through a bit of hesitancy. Like you have an exhibition and you're, you wonder if anyone's going to turn up.
1: Every time. It's, <laughs> it's like, it, it, it,
2: it, it, <laughs> it's no,
1: luckily, but every time you stood for it, you're like, oh gosh.
0: <laughs> so you sit back and think, no, I'm done. I'm out of fashion. I'm, I'm not in yeah. vogue anymore. All, yeah. those, all those fears go through your head. Yeah, well, every
2: time you send a commission, an image of a commission that you've painted for a client, you you wait for the email back, panicking. <laughs> well, I do.
1: It's kind of like never-ending stage fright. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which you've had a fair bit of lately with um, the release of A Bird's Eye View in front of a few audiences and whatnot. But uh, that's, I think a, a lot of artists will take away a lot from that just that fear and even at your level, you know, 10, 13 years' experience respectively, and you still got that fear. So it's interesting to see. But uh, question number four, Jess, on our Breaking the Ice segment.
3: Are you guys uh, campers or glampers?
2: Glampers.
0: Total campers.
2: (laughs) Um, Although
1: it's a bit difficult at the moment. I've
2: got a bit of a funny story here. (laughs) First time Jeffrey took me to Bali, we went and stayed at Poppy's and I'm like, what on earth are we doing, staying in this place? And then poppy's too. And then a few years back, Jeffrey was going on his big surf trip, and he's looking at like this five star hotel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have things changed,
0: <laughs> so proper glampers now.
1: Yeah, it was an overnight stay. You know, might as well be comfortable before sleeping on a boat for three months.
0: Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this episode of the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. We just got a quick message from our brand new sponsor, Maxted Clothing, courtesy of founder Caroline Tickle. Here's Caroline. Hi guys. We sell effortless essential knitwear for women and we're based here on the Surf Coast in Victoria. To celebrate the start of our knitwear season, we're giving away a weekend at 19W Barwin Heads. It's luxury apartments which accommodates up to four people and we shot a lot of our content at this location. It's absolutely stunning. So for your chance to win a weekend away here, just jump online, visit our website, maxtedclothing.com and follow the instructions. There you go, guys. Check the show notes for more details. Sounds like a cool competition. Get yourself a weekend away and bow on heads. And if you'd like to know more about the story of Max Dead Clothing, then make sure you tune in to Episode 9 of the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. We interviewed Caroline way back when we started the pod last year in May. So if you're into retail, fashion, e-commerce, then it's a, it's a great story. I think Caroline at the time... Was actually working part-time and on the business and working full-time Monday to Friday in a full-time job so that is not the case anymore she's now working full-time on max dead clothing and she's stocked in over 60 plus retailers nationwide so been a lot of progress since we last spoke but it's still a fascinating story of entrepreneurship and you know having a crack basically so tune in for episode number nine otherwise get yourself in the running for that competition and a weekend away down at Bowen heads more details in the show notes and also max clothing.com otherwise Back to today's episode We'll move on to question five of Breaking the Ice Your favourite TV series Almost touched on it before And it's oh, yeah. one of your favourite activities To zone out Jeffrey. But your favourite TV series
1: I would say I really enjoyed watching the OA It was just so bizarre And so surreal And kept me I Never knew what was going to happen And I still don't I'm still waiting for the next series Hopefully, Hopefully they make one
0: Oh, hey, so give us a 30-second, 10-second snapshot. It's,
1: it, it, it's, it's quite surreal. It's about, oh, geez. It's
0: too confusing. It's, <laughs> it's so
1: surreal it's not real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And, 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 and I like that because it's a, a total work of imagination and, and um, there's endless possibilities. Um, and the, as a result, the narrative can diverge off and all these, and then it all ties together and then spreads out again. So, I enjoy that as far as the TV because I hate being able to preempt what's going to happen when I watch something. So, oh, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Where can we so watch that one, Jeffrey?
1: We saw that on Netflix.
0: Netflix. Um,
1: yeah. So, the OA. Yeah, I really
0: enjoyed that. I've never heard of that one, so I'm going to check that out. Have you, Rowena?
2: I don't know if you should ask me this question because I actually forget <laughs> what I watch after a couple <laughs>
0: That's like us, with we just watched a series called The Serpent about this uh, basically, what would you call him? A
3: jewel thief.
0: A jewel thief who became a murderer and basically was killing off backpackers left, right and centre in Southeast Asia. Apparently a true story. The guy is still in jail in Kathmandu and got away with it. He's a bit of a con artist and all these other things and can never, ever remember the name of the series until last night when we finished it. I'm like, what's the name of that series? We've been watching it for three weeks. It's called The Serpent. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. We watched a few that we make up our own names for them.
1: That yeah. show. I that was never like- admitted to enjoying TV, but I think um, having an extended TV series that you can watch is, is a pretty amazing thing. Being able just to tune out for 40 minutes. You know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I imagine that's really important just to break away from the artistic bubble because do you guys find mm-hmm. it hard to switch off? Do you find it hard to just let go and forget about the next exhibition and the next gallery and the next documentary and yes, the next podcast?
1: we <laughs> used I, to be notorious. Mm. She'd, be, she'd be working at 12 o'clock at night, you know?
2: Yeah, I think since we moved the studios away from home and have that separation, things are much better. Yeah. Um, but I do. If I'm in the middle of a body of work or something, it's very hard to sort of stop thinking about how I've left a painting, especially if it's not working very well. Um, and same with if I'm in the middle of painting a mural, I'll be dreaming about painting the damn thing at night as well. Yeah. Um,
0: you actually, you actually dream about it.
2: Yeah, I dream about painting it as well as painting wow. it all day. Yeah, you guys are crazy.
1: Yeah, I'm saying uh, you, you never stop. That, and I think a lot of small business owners find themselves, um, you know, it's like flexible work hours and, and, and all that. But the reality is um, you're on 24 seven. You never stop. You wake up first thing in the morning, you're like, right. And, and you start making lists constantly like priorities, and, mm. or like you're constantly project managing. Like I project manage my paintings in my head. Like what's the next bit that I'm going to work on and what will be my approach um, and it's like for everything. Yeah,
2: but, and we also, I mean, we also sort of map out timelines for the year as well because that's how we, we manage, you know, commissions as well as public projects because obviously you can't go painting murals in the middle of winter. You need to make sure things are completed by certain dates. Um, all of the tenders have deadlines and you actually you have to be quite sort of careful with how you manage your time because, when you work for yourself, it can easily slip away from you. So yeah, we've got full timelines up on the wall in our office just to keep track of that stuff.
1: Yeah, and then you throw Finley into the mix and it just it's been a little bit The more wheels fall off.
0: <laughs> Absolute chaos. Yeah. Uh, speak, speaking of having time, do you have time to go for a coffee in Torquay? And question number six, where's the first place in Torquay? You'd go for a coffee. We get upset about. Seventeen different baristas here Oh, look,
1: cool. We're very um democratic when it comes to that. We just chop it around. We spread
2: the love around a fair bit. Yeah. Um
1: the, the place that's not busy.
0: Well, that's we probably don't want to say the place that's not busy, but
1: <laughs> yeah. no, no, like 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 if you if, if you're like okay, so we, we might go we might have one in mind and we'll be we'll be passing through Gilbert Street and you'll go past and you might go Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go to, we'll go to like, say, the larder or something, and it'll be like, no, too busy. Yeah. And then yeah. we'll go to Ocean Grind or, yes. you know, yeah. or Pond. Or Pond, yeah. or, or if we're in Jack, Jack, obviously pop into Swell. So actually,
0: talking yeah. about busy, Swell is one of the biggest busiest cafes I've ever seen.
1: It's, yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? It's
0: not nuts. often a day there isn't a lineup or, you know, a packed house up at Jan Jack. Coffee culture is strong in Chanjak and Torquay.
2: Yeah. And having said that, though, we are quite partial to having most of our coffees at home.
0: Actually, that's the the creative tool for many artists, isn't it, coffee?
1: It is. It is. I actually um, did a mural up in Melbourne recently and it was hot. It was like, the, it was like mid-30s, um, no wind. I thought, you know what, I'm not going to drink coffee while I'm on this project. I'm going to. And I, was, I, I had so much... Um, adrenaline around getting this mural done i was i powered through and then got to the end of the week and i was like oh i feel awful yeah. so i actually ended up going to the doctor going what's wrong with me and he's like you got caffeine just go have a coffee <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's all it was
1: <laughs> it was right too it was gnarly i was like "Yep, yeah, well and truly but um it's funny you do live in a state of perpetual sort of adrenaline and the weird thing is coffee goes does help maintain that momentum as long as you stay hydrated.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear. I'm keen to hear a little bit more about your productivity, and you talked briefly there about your timelines. Keen to hear more about that as well, and how you manage your day, especially as a partnership, and um, with a young son in the house. So, question number seven, our final question for breaking the ice: uh, busy during COVID or flat in 2020?
2: We were pretty busy.
1: It was yeah, we were flat out
0: um projects
2: got pushed sideways so you know things things got shuffled around a fair bit especially jeffrey's solo project um because of travel restrictions and getting on site um with with those restrictions (coughs) but yeah we still were very busy and we found our online store did really well and yeah still had quite a few commissions coming in and before COVID actually sort of really kicked off, we had a lot of public
3: mm.
2: murals in, in Melbourne before any of that started. So, fortunately, that sort of set us up for the year.
1: It was odd. We um, applied for a lot of, we did a lot of expressions of interest in 2019 and then we got all of them. So, uh-huh. then we had to face those out through 2020. So while, while everyone was worried about COVID, we were in regional Victoria and had the opportunity to carry on and take those off, which is fantastic. And we felt very fortunate during that period. So, yeah.
3: So how many murals a year were you painting? Like how many can you fit in a year? Like it's, it's for me, it sounds like one would do uh, take me a whole year. It sounds like you're smashing them out.
1: Or in 10 years.
3: Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're all different. They all have different requirements. Like we did one in Bendigo that was the the site of one city block. Yeah. So um, we had to do that in sections. Ro did, wrote, I
2: did. I did the first. I spent a week on site and then while well, Jeffrey was on another project and then he came and worked into what I'd done. Yeah. So for another week.
1: Ro did all abstract and then like, I um, came in with some birds on it.
2: The thing is you could do as many or as few murals
1: hard as, you, as, as well. you're
2: able to secure, but you don't want to totally burn yourself out and yeah. mm. and the fact is that you, you when you're on site, you're on like you're you work long days and in extreme environments and you you're working really hard. So it generally takes you a bit to recover from doing that as well afterwards. Yeah. So I really don't know how people do them back-to-back, like, throughout the year.
3: So you take breaks yeah. in between?
2: take a bit of a balance. Like, we might we might sort of do one every couple of months or so. I then am. Spend one or two weeks on site and then to have studio time in between.
1: Yeah, because the, the reality is I've, I've got a, a one-year waiting list for paintings and if I do too many murals, then that slides and I mm. start getting angry clients, start yeah. getting some, Sharp emails.
0: You just said you have, you've got a one-year waiting list for paintings. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that one, one and a half.
0: So you have got to be pretty lucky to get a, a painting from Jeffrey Curran or Rowena Martinich at the moment.
1: I've stopped taking I've stopped taking commissions at this point because I want to get through my current list um, and create some new work for myself where you know, I can take creative risks because the one one of the problems is it's good getting a paycheck obviously with a with a commission but it does keep you repeating something that you're already known for Um, because unless you've got a very flexible client who's willing to take a risk, you can't push yourself creatively doing a product, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So um, you do have to have time to uh, experiment and and do something that you wouldn't do as a commission where someone has a preconceived expectation of what they're going to get.
0: Hey, is that especially hard with corporate clients? So, say someone like, just off the top of my head, CUB Carlton United Breweries, someone like that. They commission a painting. They got corporate schedules and all the rest. They want everything yesterday. How do you work with clients like that?
1: Uh, generally, with a client that size, there's like a strict set of contracts that you not you draw up, um, or they will already have in place where it has to go through and get approval. So you would have to go through a uh, a design and development phase with them, and then get that approved before you start work. Okay. So then they haven't they they you would, for instance, we would do mock-ups for them, so they have mm-hmm. at least they'd have a visual indication of of this type of work mm-hmm. they'll receive, and and and, and that, they'd also you know, have a
2: very strict timeline in place for a project, so you wouldn't go and undertake it if you weren't able to adhere to that anyway. So, okay. I like, um, you know. Jeffrey has his his commission pieces that he has mapped out throughout throughout the year, but there's also room within that schedule to to take on the bigger projects as well, which sort of are integral to um, to maintaining recognition for what he does. Like we find that that doing public work really um,
1: elevates your profile.
2: It elevates your profile, but it's also like it's really exciting for people. Like Yep. Doing big, ambitious works on buildings is what is what gets people interested in your work. So if mm. you can do that and then then maybe they can attain a small piece of that by buying a canvas or, or a print or something,
1: mm.
2: um, That's I guess that's where. Um,
1: yeah, having that as part of your practice does value add to the other work you do.
0: I can actually vouch for that because my parents went and saw some of the silo projects in Victoria so and I know that in the attend many exhibitions if any at all as a kid mm. if you can get my well, mum and dad into the artistic world and get them looking around and seeing who the different artists are then
1: with the silo artwork in particular it's it's amazing because it, it just breaks that barrier down straight away all of a sudden yeah. it's accessible and people don't mind engaging with it and they all have their opinions and they're not afraid to to talk about it. Even when I was painting people would tell me directly what they were thinking, like not holding back. And those people have never been to the national gallery or the NGV or uh, art gallery but yep. they've done a silo art trail and they've got, they take out the iPad and they've got a hundred photos of each silo. And then they'll mm. go through and, and here's my second cousin standing in front of the one in Warwickville. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, Jeffrey, um, you should say this one. I've got, got another one for you. Yeah.
1: It's like, <laughs> <"I've> seen that. <laughs> Thanks. For that. But it, it's strange because it, it it does have this element of just complete um, engagement and honesty that the gallery system seems to lack or people they're too uh, intimidated to engage
0: with. And especially regional Victoria too, you're not tucked away in a studio in Collingwood. I'm sure you have done done shows in Collingwood and all the rest, but um, you're not tucked away in the city. There's, no, there's not that barrier, if you're, you know, finding a park in the city and getting there and being, being mm. exposed to it in the first place. So, yeah, you're exactly right. It would have brought down a lot of barriers.
1: Although, yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the Collingwood example is it does have its own Smaller, there's a, there's a group of people that love seeking that out, mm. and that's what they do. They'll they'll seek that out, and it, to them it's like a victory to find that space and to talk to that artist, you know. But this is that this is that, but on a much larger scale.
0: It's great to see. That's that's pretty much the conclusion of our icebreaker segment. It usually takes us about ten to fifteen minutes, but given that we've got the both of you, I think we covered a lot in those seven questions. So. I think a lot of artists and budding creatives will get a lot out of that. But uh, we covered a lot. So we talked about the origins. One thing I wanted to cover was the the love for you two. Where did the sparks start to fly? Where did you meet each other? I know we covered it for, before briefly. but
1: Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I was working at RMIT and Rowie was on site in North Melbourne.
2: I was waiting on site for the paint to turn up. And apparently this bloke was supposed to be coming with the paint and he was running late and I'm like, oh, typical. <laughs> and then he drove up the laneway.
1: Ah, oh, um,
0: there you go. Love it first. And I was
1: like, oh, is that the artist?
0: And Crap, um, I'm
1: running late.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where we met and
1: you we, know, we, uh, we
2: both played it very cool for a while but eventually, you know. Yeah. Jeffrey let his guard down, and we started seeing each
1: other. Rowie was a big flash artist, and then she and she's off to go skiing in New Zealand, and then she had a show in Lyon in France where she was doing a big exhibition, and then she's off to Morocco. Yeah.
0: So it was like she had a lot. Going oh, so on. I was a
2: bit busy, I
0: guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Living the high life were you, intimidated Jeffrey?
1: I was impressed, and maybe slightly intimidated, which was a, which was a good mix.
0: How established were you at this stage as an artist?
1: I was so not established <laughs> as an artist. I was, I, I was working so hard. I had a studio in the city and I was spending a lot of my time there and I was having shows um, throughout the year, but um, there was a, a lack of focus that comes with spending time just doing your artwork. Um. So, like, there'd be a show, and, and you'd you'd quickly amass something for that show, as opposed to having, um, really having that that path of discovery or inquiry, visual inquiry that a career. So I was taking, I, I, I was cherry picking all my interests, which are really diverse. Yeah. So, like, okay, so I'm going to look at this, this, and this, and put it together. And, And as a result, the work was suffering. It it, it was my my painting was like it was vital and it was large scale at that point, Um, but it didn't have that refined quality that I I would have liked. And it didn't have that like the back, the continual backup of uh, of, a sequence in a series. It didn't have that
0: evolutionary sort of. Is it fair to say you you wouldn't be the artist you are today without each other? Or do you think you would have found your path eventually?
1: I think it's a fair call
2: yeah I think it's a fair call
1: um, it, it, yeah I can't imagine doing this with, with, you know without Ro having met Ro, and having Ro to push me Ro's really good at mentoring people and bringing the best out in them mm-hmm. um, It's one of her qualities um, um,
2: i think I think with jeffrey i could I could really see um there was like an underlying passion there and he just didn't quite have the time <laughs> the time or the I don't know, just the ability to to believe enough that he could do it on his own. And I I I don't know, is that right? Do you think?
1: Yeah, there was a whole lot or going on. Or to
2: dedicate on. enough to it.
1: Yeah, um, there was a whole lot going on in work. my life where um it was very the art I was just, just holding on to it, if you know what I mean. As yeah. I, was, I was so determined to keep pushing um, to maintain that dream of doing art full-time, but it was elusive, you know, because there were so many other competing elements. Yep. Um, and, and sort of Roe was really good at cutting through that and just pushing it and, and giving me the... Um, I think actually
2: just showing up. the path, like a way of making work, because yeah. sometimes it's like where the hell do I start finding the right audience for my work or um mm-hmm. or how's my work gonna like speak for itself in the best way possible? And yeah. um I think having done it for a few years, I could I felt like I was starting to cut get that cut through a bit and able to share what i knew i guess the the little bit of knowledge that i had at that stage to help jeffrey along Mm.
1: at that point i had a studio in the city with a whole lot of other professional artists as well Mm -hmm. but um yeah just working working um at rmit really was just so draining that i um i could see how they were doing it and and so and meeting row and then all of a sudden changing everything and moving out of Melbourne was massive because it afforded me the time just to focus without the distraction.
0: Yeah, And that was, was it surfing that brought you to the surf coast or was it a passion for nature first or? Yeah,
1: it was both. Um, I'd, I'd lived in Dorky previously in Janjak and come down here surfing and, yeah, I, I, I was living here for, for a couple of years and then, yeah, I I actually went up to Melbourne and did my master's in fine art and ended up staying up there for a few years. And when I met Roe, we decided to move back down.
0: And just on that, how important is, yeah, formal education for the arts?
2: i be different now to when we went through the system, but for me, because I did my master's in public art. So for me, the networks that I established through doing that um, degree were integral as I guess as a base plate for me to start gaining substantial commissions once I finished because it wasn't just practicing artists but it was also arts administrators council workers architects people that worked broadly in the public realm so those contacts were very important for me and I guess what we what we learned was a bit different to say, a painting degree, mm. um, and it, for me, I really wanted to find another way to showcase my work outside of a gallery space um, and make it a lot more accessible. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, I did my Masters um, to re-engage in art full-time under, under a framework it was fun, but it was, it seemed to me at, afterwards, it was just a bit of an indulgence. And if I'd put the same amount of energy into doing my own practice, I probably would have got further. Having said that, I got a job in that, in, at a university out of it. And I'd always thought that a, a life in academia doing, um, and working in a university in the, in the visual arts department would be amazing. And that turned out to be the polar opposite. And I would, yeah. Would not suggest anyone go down that road. <laughs> um, you're a great
2: advertisement for um, <laughs> yeah, higher
1: education. Um, the thing is, at the end of the day, it comes down to work ethic, really. To be and 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 you're better off having a high work ethic, a, a real amazing curiosity and and, and creative um, curiosity, um, and learning small business skills because at the end of the day as an artist you're a business person and art is your business um and that's something they don't teach you when i went to my undergraduate and that they they tried to a little bit but really they don't don't teach you that they don't give you the skills necessary to work in a competitive business environment
0: actually wanted to touch on that as well so it's one thing we cover a lot on the podcast and we're, we're kind of from the spectrum of you know entrepreneurship creativity arts we're more towards entrepreneurship how important is that that language of business and commerce and all the rest in terms of what you do would you say it's essential to know the basics and the foundation
2: well I mean unless you uh, unless you're represented by a commercial gallery and you're happy to hand that over but for us it's important for us to be um independent so we need, we need to be in control of our business like any other business person and, and set our goals and, um, and budgets that we want to meet. So
1: It's yeah. a different level of engagement as well. I mean, you, like you could be an artist and hand, hand over half of your income to a, a gallery to manage you and, and look after your career, but that happens to like less than 1%. So that's not, a, that's not a, an attainable reality for a lot of people. And a lot of people try to attain that model and they feel like they're failing because they don't fit into that system as an artist. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's a real pitfall because um, the reality is um, a lot of people that never went through that system are better artists. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of bad artists that do very very well because they know how to market themselves a lot of talented artists that don't know how to market themselves can't communicate yeah. can't send an invoice <laughs> you know it's just like come on
0: i know yeah. that's true of photography as well like they always say uh, an average photographer will always outdo a really really skilled photographer that has no idea about business and marketing yeah.
2: Yeah, well, you can't live in a vacuum these days. Like if you, yeah. if you create an amazing work but no one knows it exists, what's the point, you know?
0: Exactly. And and
1: that's the joy of um the digital digital technology is everything's more accessible, including learning business skills. It's all there. Um if there's all the information you need is accessible these days. Um and there's so much advice out there, yeah, particularly visual arts. Yeah, just having that accessibility and 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 getting Getting an audience. It's so easy to get an establish an audience now, um, compared to what, what it was where you used to have to go through galleries and, and you once again you're exposing yourself to one percent of the population. My social media is not massive and I'm really, really bad at it. Because I I'll go like you're not bad at it,
2: you're just lazy. At I'm it. lazy.
1: I'm lazy. <laughs> I I'll go I'll do something and then I'll realise I haven't done a post for a month. Yeah. And stuff like that. So I don't have a huge following, but what I do is the people that are following have got quite a high engagement. So yeah there's there's a difference there as well because you have a hundred thousand followers but if no one actually really cares about what you're doing what does that mean
0: yeah Yeah. well that's interesting your take on social media and well we've covered a lot in our seven questions and i'm very conscious of your time and i know you guys have probably had a big day already but do you want to tell us you know it it sounds like it seems like an idyllic lifestyle the the orders come in you've got a 12-month waiting list Got a young son good. there, Finley as well. What What's the biggest challenge as a full-time professional artist?
2: <laughs> not getting overwhelmed, I think.
0: In terms of workflow um, and the volume of work?
2: Yeah. I think...
0: Taking uh, a break?
2: I think, true to say, it would be not to get overwhelmed no. but also to set time aside for ourselves and away from work.
1: Because it's easy to just keep working and then realise that you haven't had a day off for a couple of weeks and you're like, Oh, we should. It's like we. It's Saturday. We should probably do a Saturday activity or something like that, um, yeah. like surfing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um It's, it's funny how that changes. But then I, I spent my whole twenty surfing, so I guess I'm making up for it now.
2: I think it's quite easy to get caught up in what other people are doing and just feel like you might be, you know, being comparative and that sort of thing. So I think if you're on social media to, you know, get on there, post whatever you need to and interact with whoever you need to and get off and not get too caught up in what everyone else is up to because I think that can really be distracting and, and disillusioning at times. Um, mm-hmm. There's always someone doing more or...
1: Appearing to do more.
2: Appearing to do more or whatever. So um, yeah. I think it's just remaining focused in what your own objectives are and and just, yeah, plodding away and being consistent to, to achieve those goals.
0: Yeah. I think that's great advice. Would that be your number one piece of advice? So don't get caught up in the crowd and all the noise. Focus on what you're doing. Be consistent. Keep laying bricks, as they say.
1: Enjoy it. Enjoy yeah. it as well. Because, like, for instance, today we... We went and had lunch together and kicked back and got back into the studio and realised that we're both loving it. We we're both yep. both painting. Rose done this massive four-metre canvas, and you can see the level of enjoyment and engagement because it's all just flowing, and, and that's the best. And I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you've got to this level and we've created this, just enjoy the ride, you know? Take time mm-hmm. to enjoy it and not, not constantly stress about it.
2: I think, like as a painter, you you generally get to the three quarter mark of a work and have a panic attack. Um, yeah. And I think it's a matter of being confident that you do know how to resolve things, and um, yeah, like just quietly know that you can work it out. Um, and that and that extends beyond the painting, but to the entire creative process, whether it's to secure a job in the first place. Um, to just know that we are going to sort of have a consistent amount of work coming in to sustain us,
0: yeah. That's so no matter what happens, you, you can't, you've got a mindset that we can handle this basically,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And hey, do drive a forklift, you
0: know, yeah, <laughs> not just your artworks, but life. And as a dad, as a mom, I imagine yeah. there's been some challenges, you know, being parents and all the rest, and managing your workflow, so. Uh, big congratulations for your progress yeah. today. It's been amazing.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a, it's been interesting to share it with you guys. Go back down memory lane.
0: <laughs> I feel like we haven't done any justice to use both your stories, but we've packed a lot in there, and <laughs> I think just over an hour and ten minutes. But going to let you get back to your day. Where can we keep following both of your respective stories?
2: Uh, either on our websites or our Instagrams. So my website's just martinich.com.au.
1: Or my Instagram's Rowena Marnich. Yeah, and mine's au or at Karen on Insta. That's probably more, you know, up to date because websites tend to kick around a bit before you yeah. do any updates. That.
0: I did see a couple of older photos on your website, I think. I just had a look yeah. before. but
1: I've got a new one that's sitting in the background. I just have to do a few more things before we can make that one go live. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah. a new
0: website coming. Uh, I'd love to see our coffee meet, which we're having by the time this podcast goes to air, we'll have had our coffee meet. So I'll be chuffed if I could see, see you both at our coffee meet in two days' yeah. time. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. will be there.
1: Sorry if we rambled a bit. We, we digress. That's how we roll most of the time, actually. <laughs> so
0: uh, it's actually so- funny doing a, a podcast interview with a, a dynamic duo, as you would say. We, we haven't had a husband and wife partnership on for quite a while no. i think every second episode there for a minute was a partnership so but it's funny getting the the back and forth and the banter and all the rest And it's funny to see your relationship as well but i think a lot of artists will have got a lot out of that and i think there's some really really good insights there and just where can we go to keep following the surf coast Creators podcast
3: you can head to the website surfcoastcreatives.com or uh, find us on facebook we've got a private group there where you can join the conversation introduce yourself um, and talk to other creatives in the community and then we're also on instagram so surf coast creatives <clears throat> all there Or well, one word one word
0: yep and jeffrey you you're a part of our surf coast creatives community aren't you it goes i i pop in there yep so if anyone's got any questions, fire away. <laughs> Jeffrey won't answer them because <laughs> he'll be doing a, a project. But...
1: Yeah, yeah, and then I give
2: I'll... it a couple of weeks and you'll get a response.
1: <laughs> yeah, generally responds within one month. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Rowena, we'll have to get you. I think are you a member yet?
2: I don't think I am yet, but I'll jump on it after this and and yeah, open to answering any questions if anyone's got them.
1: Yeah, yeah that's questions. Awesome. Really really inspiring people on there
0: so yeah oh it's amazing i was going through the list the other day and it's like it's just wow in terms of you know there's a good mix of really professional artists and creatives like yourself and entrepreneurs and then a good mix of people who want to get to that stage someday so i'm sure the people tuning in today who want to get to that stage really appreciate your time today we appreciate your time so thanks again we'll let you get on with your day and cooking dinner and all the rest that you do in the evening Uh, thanks again jeffrey and rowena and all the best for the rest of 2021
1: yeah thanks a lot and we'll see you on thursday
0: see you then (laughs)